If you remember the last time I preached, I, was, I started in 1 Peter in, in the very first part of chapter 1, and I'm going on with that in 1 Peter chapter 1. And it, it's a message of hope amongst trials. That's what this is. Um, and just kind of a quick kind of recap, because I know there's some that weren't here, and it's been a while, but the, the, letters, the letter that Peter was writing here to the churches in the Roman Empire, what's modern-day Turkey, um, was during some of the most tribulated times um, even throughout history. Because it, 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 this letter was written right after Nero's fire, in which Nero had burned large parts of the cities of Rome, and he pinned it on the Christians. He blamed it on the Christians. And so the persecution from the non-believers was out of this world. I mean, it was just, and it was being revved up, and he was putting his hand of blessing on all of it. He was causing a lot of it, him and his armies. And so when Peter's writing this letter, it's amidst real trials, serious, hard times. But he's given us hope, and that's what we're going to see um, today. If you would, bow with me. Father, Lord, I pray, God, this morning... Lord, I pray that we can see this hope, that we can look to Christ in amidst whatever trials we're going through. I know, God, I know there's people here who are suffering. I know there's people who aren't here because of various trials and, and tribulations. And, and they're very real, Lord, and I understand that. But I pray, God, that you would show us today that they have a bigger purpose, that there's something going on that's much greater than us, and it's your glory. Father, if nothing else, let you be glorified through this message. God, I pray that you would take me and just allow me to be humble enough, but bold enough by the power of your Spirit to preach this truth, but that you would get all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So last, last time we got through verse 5. So we're going to start in verse 6. But let's back up and read verse 5. He says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then in verse 6 he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the various trials. We're looking at how to overcome. What is it that we can do to help us in all of the things? And when, we, when he says various trials there, you can plug in whatever you're going through. They were being persecuted heavily. We are starting to see more and more persecution in this country. And it's coming pretty quickly. So we should be prepared for that. So this message is not only for trials that we're going through now, but it's also for trials that we are going to come to. We're going to be ready. We're going to be armed. When the persecution comes, we're going to know how to deal with that. That's what we're called to do, and it's going to point to Christ. And if you're in a trial now, it's a chance that you have to point to Christ. So those various trials, and they come in all forms. They can be in sicknesses. They can be in family problems. They can be in persecution 
although it may not look like the persecution in Rome, but has anybody ever been persecuted by their family for being for believing in Christ? I, yeah, I mean, it happens. It looks different in our culture, but it happens. Um, and it may look like something just like when the pals were here, our, our missionaries from France. We asked them. We had, we had a chance to eat dinner with them, and we asked them, how did your family take it? Did your fa- were your family supportive? No. The answer was no. They weren't supportive. They thought it was a terrible idea. What, you're going to France? And isn't that, don't you hear that? You hear those things all the time. What, you're going, you're going to the prison? I've heard that one from my family. Isn't that dangerous? I, I mean, it may be. It, it doesn't feel really dangerous, but it may be, sure. But that's, that's not what, Christ didn't call us to safety, right? So we, we've received persecution in ways that we may not even think about it. But then also, you know, sicknesses, struggles. We had a young man whose father got killed in a car wreck last week. And I, I'm going to have his, I have his, I have his sister in class, the, the man's daughter. Is that real trial? Sure it is. And it's happening all around us. There's death. There's destruction. We live in a fallen world. So these various trials, it's real easy. And and I'll I'll warn you against this. If you sit and watch the news all day, depression is going to follow that. It it just is. And, And part of that is because that's all they report on is the bad things. But the other part is we're living in a fallen world. And there is a lot of death and destruction and sickness and sadness and all kinds of things around us. But we have hope. We can't walk around as Christians with our heads down and act like the world who has no hope. No, we've got to walk around because we believe in something better. We believe in something bigger. And that's what Peter is going to say here. And that's what he says in verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. Read, I'm going to read back to verse 3. What do we greatly rejoice in? He says, in this it's the abundant... Well, let me just read through 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. What do, we, what, do, what do we got to greatly rejoice in? Hmm, not real sure. The abundant mercy, the fact that we're born again, we heard about justification, we don't have to pay for our own sins, we rejoice in a living hope, we rejoice that Christ is not left in the tomb, He is resurrected. We serve a living Savior. That's what we greatly rejoice in. We have an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance waiting on us. That's that's something to rejoice in. And all of which are kept by the power of God through faith. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice that you've been given the gift of faith. It's like Kathy was saying this morning. Rejoice that soon... We're not going to have to struggle with this anymore. This is a temporary struggle. Don't you think that, um, you know, you, you find that you talk to POWs, you talk to men who have been in the military, and they get in there and they get in those struggles overseas. The one thing that keeps them holding on is, I know that if I get through this, I'm going home and I'll be with my wife and I'll be with my family. How much greater can we look forward to that? 
I know when this is over, I'm going home to be with my Savior in body, in presence. He's with us now, but we'll be with him. We'll be with him in bodily form. So there's much to greatly rejoice about. And and then he says, what do we rejoice in? But he says, for a little while. It's just for a temporary thing. It's just so short. Paul said his life is like a vapor. And how, how, how true is that as we grow older? I, I used to think, oh, man, it doesn't seem that short. And, I, and, and I'm still relatively young. But, man, how fast have my daughters grown up? I'm looking at Grace, and she's almost as tall as her mom. And I'm going, what happened here? It's just going by so fast. You blink, and it's gone. And, and we all know that. We understand that. So, so our, our trials are very short. It's just for a little while. You've been grieved by various trials. And these trials, of our, of our, they are of our faith. Spurgeon said this. He said, trial is the very element of faith. God sends the trials. God allows the trials. Why? It's for to prove the sincerity of our faith. Is it for his sake? Is it for God's sake that he would send trials so that he knows our faith is real? He's testing us so that he knows? No. God is all-knowing, right? God does not need to test us for his sake. He tests us for our sake so that we can be assured that our faith is real. It's also for his glory that other people can see our faith and see the reality of it, see the auth- that it is authentic and, that it is, and Christ gets the glory. If you remember the last time I gave the example towards the end about the city, we were like a city under attack. You remember that? And, and no matter, and he allows the enemies to assemble, and he allows the enemy to use all sorts of weapons at his disposal. And you think about it, the sickness, the false teaching, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He uses them all, and he assembles, and he attacks, but he cannot penetrate the force. Why? Because the, the city walls were built by the captain. The city walls were built by the king of kings. It's surrounded by omnipotence. They can't penetrate. Well, th- today I want you to think about this. Is, we're talking about faith here. We're talking about the trials of our faith. In verse 7 he says, and the genuineness of your faith. In Ephesians 6 16 or the the chapter 6 of Ephesians he talks about the armor of God but when he talks about faith what is it It, it's the shield right he talks about the shield he says above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one if you have a shield and there's never anything come at it do you know if it works you don't. I got this shield. Look at this. Look at this shield I made. Have you ever tested it? No, but look how cool it looks. Hold it. You don't want to go into battle without a shield that's been tested. I mean, with a shield that hasn't been tested. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure that your shield is sure. You want to make sure it's tough. I mean, this guy pulls his shield out. Hey, I got this cool shield. And you hit it with a hammer and it just falls apart. Sorry I hit it because it looked cool, but it did not serve its purpose. 
Our shield is of faith. We would never know how great this shield works if it had not been for attacks against us and our salvation. But listen, the great captain, the one who built the city, he doesn't issue us equipment we don't need. Why would he tell us? Why would Paul give us that instruction about the shield of faith in the sixth chapter of Ephesians if we weren't going to need it? If we weren't going to have to rely back on our faith and turn back and remind ourselves constantly of the gospel of our salvation and believe in it, why would he give us that if we weren't going to use it? He gave us that because the trials are going to come. It's a guarantee. Those who are in Christ will suffer persecution. It's coming. It's going to come. And so he doesn't give us equipment that we don't need. But there's times, isn't there, that the shield gets heavy? There's times when it's easier to hold it up than others. There's times when, you, when, it, when it's held so hard and it's covered with arrows and been beat against with a sword. But listen, the shield of your faith will not fail if it's a genuine faith. If it's the authentic shield from the Father, it won't fail. So it gets hard sometimes. But in this rejoice, rejoice that trials come, rejoice that persecution comes, it is confirmation of your faith. I heard a, I heard a thing about John Wesley one time. He was on the preaching circuit and riding his horse out across a, somewhere. And he got to questioning his faith. And I believe it went like this. He got off his horse. He was he 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 was just he was in that one of those times. Have you been in those times where you question your faith, where you question your salvation? He was in one of those times. This is a guy who goes around preaching all the time. That was his life. He gets off his horse and he gets down on his knees and he's praying to God for confirmation that this is real. And a guy comes up, recognizes who it is, and tries to hit him in the head with a rock. He missed. But his response was, thank you, Lord, for that confirmation. Thank you, Lord, for that confirmation. There's going to be trials. And so when those trials come, we can rejoice in that. Um, it is the confirmation of our faith. It is testing, teaching, and honing your faith for the next battle. So if you're in a trial right now, if you're in a time, no matter how great or how small it is, it is there for your benefit and for even more importantly, for the glory of God. It will test you, but it's going to teach you. It's going to teach you to be more like Christ. And it's going to hone in your faith for the next spiritual battle. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5.11 says this, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Do you know that uh, the reformers, a lot of them, and, and probably throughout history, but they were accused of all sorts of false crimes. Just like the Christians that Peter's writing to here were accused of burning the city of Rome, which is absurd. It just wasn't true. 
Nero himself did it, but he accused them. And it's easy to pin things. It's easy to falsely accuse Christians because evil hates light, darkness hates light. And so everybody will kind of get together to go against Christ, to go against his people, to go against his church. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that the feminist movement and the Muslims will kind of team up and it's starting to happen more and more? How does that even make sense? I mean, really, you're talking about probably the biggest suppression of women in Islam and the feminist movement, but somehow or another they'll join hands when it comes to fighting against Christ. I mean, that's going to happen, and it's always going to happen. It always has happened. So they're going to falsely accuse you for his sake. But he said, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. And then look at verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you ever think about the prophets? I mean, Noah, just go back to Noah and think about how great is it that he was the one. I mean, he's the one who got to save mankind. He built the ark. He was obedient to Christ. He built the ark. They were saved. Do you ever stop to think of all the ones who were lost and all the things that he had to deal with before that time? The ridicule, the mockery, and it goes on. You can just go through all the prophets. They all received persecution, but he says, Rejoice in being exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so that's what we do. We look to heaven. And remember this. It is only for a little while. It is only for a little while. And he says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, perishes. So this trial, these trials, these tribulations, these heartaches, these temptations, all these things that we're dealing with, they actually bring out the genuineness of of your faith. That's what they do. They show it. They reveal the genuineness of your faith. It is an assurance by going through that. When you go through it and you come out on the other side, you say, wow, he did it again. He brought me through that again. This faith is real because if it wasn't real, I would have failed. I would not have come. You fall into a sin. You fall into a certain temptation and and you're in a sinful state. If your faith is genuine, he will not leave you there. He is going to bring you out, and you'll come out on the other side, and you'll go, oh, and that's when repentance comes in. And you'll say, oh, I'm sorry. And you, and you, you hate that sin. You hate it. But you look on the other side, and you say, God, you did it again. You brought me through this trial. My faith, it really is genuine. If I did not have to fight against that, if I did not have that trial, I wouldn't know this. Maybe it's a physical trial. If anybody is anybody familiar with Justin Peters, Justin Peters is a he's a fantastic uh, teacher. He's got cerebral palsy. He can barely walk with some crutches. He's in a wheelchair most of the time, um, but he he has basically dedicated his life to I, I don't know how to say it fighting against the Word of Faith movement in a sense. And he, he claims his cerebral palsy 
other than his salvation, I believe he said it like this, other than my salvation, it is the greatest gift God has ever given me. Johnny Erickson Tata has a similar testimony, who's, in, who's quadriplegic, right? Why? He said, I have known God in ways I never would have known him apart from this trial. I have got to see him in ways that I never could have seen him outside of this. And so what is it that we're doing? Think about that. Think about that when we're, when we're struggling. And, and I know, I know it's hard at the time. But he will see you through if your faith is genuine. And then look, he compares our faith to gold. He says, it's being much more precious than gold that perishes. Now gold in this time and even probably today is the most sought after precious metal on the planet. It's extremely valuable. Even in our economy today, people are starting to abandon their stocks and their investments and put it in gold. Why? Because gold holds its value, right? Gold is... It's solid. It's the real deal. But what, is, what does Peter say about the gold here? It perishes. It's going to be pavement under our feet. It is not. When you go to heaven, the, the beautiful thing about the streets of gold isn't that there's all this gold. No, it's that gold has become so invaluable, we're using it to make the roads now. It's not important anymore. Christ is there. Gold is nothing. Christ is everything. And if we would just get that through our mind now, if we would get that into our heads now, these trials would be much easier to deal with. I assure you, But because our faith, this gift of faith that has been given us is much more precious than gold. Because the gold is going to perish. But then he says this, he says, though it is tested by fire. So you have another comparison to the gold. Our faith is tested by fire. You remember what it says over when it's talking about the shield of faith? It's able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The Romans, what they would do, when Paul wrote that in Ephesians, he was looking at a Roman soldier and he was using the comparison of their armor to the armor of Christ, our spiritual armor. And the Romans, they didn't have little shields. They weren't like these little bitty things. They were big, tall shields with a top, almost a body-length shield. And they, had, they would put real thick leather and even wool on the outside of the shields, and they would soak them with water because in the time, fiery arrows were very popular because you'd hold your wooden shield up, and it'd get hit with a fiery arrow, and you might not realize it, and it's going to catch a shield on fire. They were wooden. It's going to catch the shield on fire, and pretty soon you've got to throw it down. It's rent. They just rent your shield. Now you have no protection. But the Romans come up with this, hey, we'll put our shields, we'll make them wet, so when the fire comes in, it quenches it. Well, Satan can throw whatever he wants to, and it's going to be extinguished. So your faith, it's going to be, the, the faith is tested by fire. What does that look like in the spiritual realm? It's trials. It's temptations, it's tribulations, it's sin thing, it's sin that God brings us through. And when they refined gold in that time, do you know how they did it? I've never refined gold, I've never had enough to actually melt down and play with. But when I was a kid, we did a lot, we, we melted a lot of lead. We made fishing weights and things. And if the, if the lead had too much impurities in it, it wouldn't make the right shape inside the mold. 
So we had to refine the lead. I didn't, ha- I didn't know that's what we were doing. We would just have, we had this little pot. We would heat it up. And when it got really, really hot, there would be this stuff form on the top of it. Well, and that's what we didn't realize. We were, we were actually refining the lead. It's called slack. And it's the same way with gold. It's the same way with silver. You get it hot enough. It's got to be really hot, and you get it hot enough. It melts, and then the impurities start floating to the top, and you scrape them off. We had a little bucket, and we'd scrape it off and throw it in there. And then you'd let it cool, and you heat it back up again, and then it would do it again. And you keep turning the fire up, and eventually you get all the impurities out of the lead. I've actually heard Ronnie preach it in, when, when, a silver, when, when you're refining silver. They asked the guy, how do you know when it's, when it's completely done? And he said, that's the easy part. When the refiner can see his reflection clear in the, in the metal, then it's completely, it's finished. It's refined. And that's what Christ is doing with us through these trials, through these tri- tribulations. He allows the trials to come. He turns up the heat. And then it, every time it happens, you lose impurities. When you come out on the other side, he removes something. He removes an impurity of your heart. And then at the last day, at the end, he's going to reveal us as being refined. So what's the purpose of this? It's for praise. It's for honor. It's for glory. Of who? For us? No, of course not. But for Christ. It is all for his praise and for his glory. And is he worth it? See, that's where I think we struggle. I think that's where we get into, we can fall into depression. We can get our mind caught up in whatever's going on around us, in our circumstances, because we think, no, this is too hard. This was too harsh. But if you stop to think, if this is for his glory, which we know that all things are for the glory of God, if this is for his glory... Is he worth it? And your answer is going to be yes. It's, easy, it's, easy, it's an easy answer. If you're, if you're taking the test, the answer is yes. Jesus is worth it. But when you're in the midst of the circumstances, is he worth it? The answer, of course, is still yes. But that is what you have to think about when it comes, when it's hitting you in the teeth, when Satan's there with his temptations, with sicknesses, with death, with poverty, whatever it is, is he worth it? If you'll remind yourself of that, it will help you come through on the other side. And then in verse 8 he says, Whom having not seen you, or in whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter's saying you haven't seen him in Christ. We're talking about Christ. Even though we have not seen him with our physical eyes, we still love him. He is still worth it. No, we can't say our eyes have seen the resurrected Savior. But just like we heard this morning, regeneration, he's revealed himself to us in our heart. He's sent his Holy Spirit to live within us. And this gift of faith is now being tested. So how does the true faith in Jesus react to trials when they come? He says, 
at the end of that, he says, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Look at Acts chapter 5. says, and they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, what did they do wrong? Were they out stealing? They murder somebody? Did they attempt an assassination on the king? Were they drunk? Staggering around town? Were they doing drugs? No. No, they were preaching the gospel. We get our feathers all ruffled up when we're falsely accused of doing something wrong or when we actually do something wrong and get caught in this culture today. That's for sure. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their own actions anymore. It's always somebody else's fault. But these men, (laughs) they didn't do anything wrong. They were preaching the gospel of Jesus. God called them. He said, come to me. I'm gonna, I'll give you rest. I'll give you salvation. And they come. And now all of a sudden, they're being persecuted for it. They're being beaten. And this isn't like a couple of whips with a stick. These were real beatings. These were blood vessel busting, bruising beatings. But what's it say? Uh, verse verse 41, lost my place. It says, when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they, okay, we'll stop this. We'll beat them so hard. They're not going to talk about this guy anymore. But look at verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. There's the answer. Is he worthy? The apostles thought he was. The apostles said he is. And what did they do? What did they tell him? Don't go preach his name anymore, and we won't beat you anymore. We'll quit arresting you. We'll leave you alone. You can go about your thing. But what did they do? And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus As the Christ. Is he worthy? You better believe it. For whatever it is that's coming. For whatever it is that's here. For whatever it is that we're going to see next year. Or the year after that. If God tarries. He's worthy. He's worthy of all of it. Anything they can do for us. He's worthy. You know that that was the reason. Historically. They said Peter wouldn't be. They were going to crucify Peter. But he wouldn't be crucified the same way. He said, no. I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. Do it upside down. Do it upside down. I can't take the same cross he did. i got to be upside down. He's too high. Is he worthy? Absolutely. Peter thought he was. And what are we dealing with? What are we dealing with that seems so hard that gets our heads down, gets our chin in the dirt? 
These men were receiving the real persecution, the hard stuff. And he says, rejoice in that persecution. Rejoice in those trials. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 16 and 17, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. It may be painful here. It may be painful even here in our mind at times. We have, we have real trials. We have real struggles, real pain, suffering, lost loved ones, sick loved ones. But he's, that's the outward man. But he says the inward man is being renewed day by day. And look at verse 17. He says, for our light affliction. That's Paul talking. He says it's a light affliction. Paul's calling his affliction light, and we're acting like ours is going to kill us. We're acting like ours is going to run us down in the dirt. And Paul's, I mean, you remember what he went through? He was arrested. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was lost at sea, floating around on who knows what. His whole life was persecution. And, he, and then ultimately he was killed for it. But he says it's light. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Is it worth it? Is he worth it? Paul thought it was. Paul thought he was worth it. And then look at verse 9. He says, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even though we've already been saved through faith, by Him keeping us and refining us, He is preparing, preparing for us the end of our faith and final salvation. You remember how the refiner tells when the, when the silver is pure or when the gold is pure, He can see Himself in it. And that's what Christ is doing with each of us who are believers today. He's refining you. He's refining me. He's taking out the garbage. He's going to heat it up. He's going to scrape off the garbage, and he's going to let it cool for a little bit. And he's going to heat it back up. So the trials, they're going to keep coming. I hate to, I hate to bring that bad news to you, but they're not ending anytime soon until Christ returns or until you go home to him. But then, but then, in that time, when that day happens, he's going to reveal you, and he's going to say, here it is, my refined child who has no more slag in there. None. It's all gone by his grace. That's what Kathy was talking about in Bible study this morning when she said she's looking forward to not struggling with this flesh anymore. The child, you, if you're a believer in Christ today, he's going to present you in that last time and say, look at this. And it's going to be a beautiful creation because it's going to be the image of Christ. We're going to be back to made in his image in an unmarred state. And that is what we rejoice in. That is what gets us through the trials. That is what gets us through temptations. That is what gets us through persecution. Looking forward to being purified. Looking forward to being refined completely. It's incredible. It's incredible. Why does he do it? Why does he do it for me? Why does he do it for you? 
And it's simply for his glory. And because he's a gracious, merciful, loving God, and he wants you. And he's using you for his glory. It's incredible. And then go on to verse 10. He says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. The salvation hasn't changed. It's the same as it, the plan has always been in place. The prophets believed, the prophets that we go back and reread, they believed the salvation. And they searched the law. And they searched the prophets, their own prophecies and the, prophet, the other prophets for this very thing. They searched for what we have available. They had to search. They had to dig to find it. But they were limited. It wasn't revealed to its fullness for them. But yet they still believed. And we forget, I think, or maybe don't realize how blessed we are to live in a time after Christ has risen from the dead. To live on this side of the cross is just an incredible blessing by itself. To know, to be able to look back to the cross. It's easier to look back than forward, isn't it? I mean, that's why we were talking Wednesday night about eschatology and there's a million different views about it. Why? Because it's, it's in the future still. It's still unclear. But looking back at the cross is crystal clear. And we, live, we are so blessed to live in that time. But they still prophesied of this grace um, that we have received. Very clearly, when we look back at it now, it was very clear. And so the prophets looked forward to this time. They, they looked forward to this grace. And then look at verse 11. Searching what or what matter of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories of that would follow. They knew and believed God would be the redeemer, but they didn't know when. And and we don't know exactly how clear they knew of how. Because it was very it was very fuzzy on the Old Testament prophets of how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen, all of those things, but they obviously believed it. But the Spirit of Christ, he says, the Spirit of Christ who was in them, he resided in these prophets and caused them to speak and write of the gospel. Look at Second Peter, just a couple pages over, chapter 1, verse 19. This is what, this is what he was talking about. He says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And we're the fortunate ones to be seeing it completed. We, we, we live after the completion of the prophecy. So that's another incredible thing. They told us of the sufferings of our Savior and his glorious triumph hundreds of years, thousands of years before it happened. And then verse 12, he says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves 
But to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So what was the purpose that the prophets wrote? What was the purpose that they spoke? It was not for their purpose, but it was for ours. It was for those on this side of the cross. It was for the purpose of the preaching of the gospel. How were these churches that Peter is writing to established? Remember, Paul established probably all of these churches. How were they established? They weren't carrying a New Testament. When Paul went in there, he didn't have the New Testament. How was he preaching the gospel? He was preaching it out of the prophets. He was preaching the gospel out of the law and out of the prophets. And it was the same power of the Holy Spirit who revealed it to the prophets that empowers those who preach the gospel, who empowers all of us, if you're a believer in Christ, to preach the gospel. And it was the same power of the Holy Spirit who was revealing that to the prophets who regenerate unbelievers. And again, it's such a great honor and privilege we have of sharing that. We get to share that these prophecies have been fulfilled. And, it's, and that's what's so incredible. That Holy Spirit, God, is the same then as he was now. Or he's the same now as he was then. And it's that same power that allowed Isaiah to pen the book that allows us to preach the gospel that allows men to be saved, allows women to be saved, allows children, whoever it is that's repenting and believing in Christ. It's the same power of the Holy Spirit that allows it all to be saved. It's the same power of the Holy Spirit that brought Christ out of the tomb. And here we are, we have this great opportunity to share this with others, to preach the gospel, to hold our heads up high in the midst of trials, to hold our heads up high in the midst of temptation, to hold our head up high even when it looks like the world is falling down around us and people go, what is up with you? Well, let me tell you, that's the best question they can ask. Why are you so happy? Why do you seem so positive? Well, this is why. This world, it's, it's fading away and it's fading away quickly that's why you get so depressed when you watch the news but i don't watch the news i got another news source i have some news for you the stuff you watch on tv it's full of bad news but i have good news for you isn't that the gospel isn't that what gospel means is good news i have this listen to me no matter what happens in this earth christ our savior He's resurrected. He's no longer in the tomb. And he is in control of all of this. And he has given me a shield of faith that no matter what comes my way, I will remain faithful to him because he's the one who gives me the faith and he's going to bring me through it. And it's a great opportunity to share Christ with people. And we have that and I think we forget it. I think we forget how awesome of a time that we actually live in. Because if you get to focusing on this world... If you get to focusing on earthly things, it doesn't matter how great a job you have or how great things seem to be going for you. It's not. 
it's not great. I, I don't know if you guys remember a few years ago. Uh, I just drew a blank. What's the quarterback for the Patriots? Tom Brady. Tom Brady had just won like his, I don't know how many Super Bowls, third or fourth or fifth, something like that. He's won a bunch of them. He's making millions of dollars, millions upon millions. They talk about how he may be the best NFL quarterback of all time. And he got up on in a, in a post-game interview, and he said, it just still seems like something's missing. You can't fill that materialistic hole. There's something missing for sure. He's missing Christ. He's missing the one who gave him that ability. And, and hopefully God will reveal himself to him at some point. But th- that's it. When you're focused on this, it doesn't matter how good or how bad it is. You're going to get down. You're going to have lulls. And no matter how good it is, it's not going to last. It, it won't last. Somebody, something is going to happen. I mean, that's the curse on this earth. We've been cursed with sickness, with thorns, with thistles, with death. So there's no way if you, if everybody's talking about how you, sh- you deserve to be happy, you should be happy. Well, what happens when you get there and you're happy? It's very, very temporary. Something's going to come along that's going to cause that happiness to fall. But if we have hope in Christ, it will last for eternity. And then look at the last part of verse 12. He says, things which angels desire to look into. The things that he's talking about there is it goes right back to the gospel. It's all the things that we were rejoicing in at the first of the message. It's our hope. It's our salvation. It's the gospel of our salvation. But let's just consider the magnitude of that statement. Things which angels desire to look into. You realize the angels do not need a redeemer. They haven't fallen. They don't need forgiveness because they have not sinned. So they don't have a personal stake in the gospel like we do. It's not for them personally. It's each angel looks at it. Gabriel looks at the gospel. It's not for him. It's not for Michael. It's not for the rest of the angels. They don't need the gospel to save They're fellow angels. They're all in the same thing. The angels that are fallen, God didn't send them a redeemer. The the gospel does not apply to them. There is no hope for Satan and his angels. So these angels that are looking into the gospel, they desire to look into it. It's not for personal reasons, but yet they desire to look into it. And the, the, the... phrase it doesn't it, it kind of leaves a little bit there but it certainly sounds like if they desire to look into i just picture them really wanting to know about this they really want to look into this gospel why because god has a deep interest in it it's his it's his plan. It's his redemption plan. It's for his glory. He did it so that he can show some of his attributes that otherwise we couldn't have seen. Apart from the gospel, we can't see his grace. Not in its full extent. We can't see his mercy. We can't see his sacrifice. 
So the angels are interested in the things that God are interested in because they recognize the fact that God is greatly glorified in the redemption of fallen man. To think about that, doesn't that remind us of our glorious position? We were made a little lower than the angels, but then they don't have Christ's righteousness. We're given a gift that is unfathomable. Doesn't this remind us how great grace is? But it should also shame us if we haven't had or if we've had little or no desire to look into the gospel ourselves. It should shame us even if we have a desire but we don't really follow through with it the way that we probably should. Because think about our interest in the gospel. We have a very personal interest in the gospel of our salvation. It's for me. That gospel is very personal to me because without it, I am doomed to hell. But he died in my place. He was buried and he resurrected and overcame the death that I couldn't overcome. And now he's seated at the right hand of Father. He ascended. And that is for me. And it's for you. And it's very personal. And it's also personal because we do have fellow man. And so we should have a deep desire to look into these things and to get a better understanding of these things because it's going to help us to share it with fellow man, with our family, with our friends who are perishing, with strangers, with co-workers, with everyone. That's what the gospel is to us. It's extremely personal, much more personal to us than it is the angels. But they look into it, and then we have Christians walking all over the place who never bother to take a look. And we hear things like, oh, yeah, yeah, that gospel, that was back then. I'm ready to move on into deeper things. What? You don't even understand. The angels are trying to understand this. You don't get any deeper than the gospel. You just go deeper into it. And you hear things like, I did the deal. Me and Ronnie heard that one personally. Oh, yeah, I did the deal. We, we showed the young, it was a young man, probably 14. We showed him his sin through the law. Well, what's going to happen when you die? I'm going to heaven. Why? I did the deal. What deal? You know, the deal. Like, what? And I think Ronnie goes, you got saved? Yeah, that deal. And it was like, what is going on with people who are claiming the name of Christ? What is that about? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the most glorious things. You can't make this stuff up. A man could not have come up with this. The best writer in Hollywood can only copy old comic books right now. He can't come up with anything. But, I mean, we're talking about reality here. It's, I mean, men have spent, dedicated their lives to studying it. And at the end of their life, most of them say something like this. I don't even have a hold on it. I think Paul Washer said, you'll spend eternity of eternities tracking down the gospel and you won't even get to the foothold of the mountain. And it's true. It's true. So we have that salvation of fellow man at mind when we study the gospel but 
probably more important than all of that, we should have the desire to look into these things for the same reason that the angels desire to look into them. And that is because God has a very personal interest in it. And God's glory is at stake. And once he regenerates you, once he regenerates us, then that's our desire. Then that's our desire. That's the testimony that you'll hear. You know what? If God doesn't save me, I deserve it. I deserve everything, every bit of wrath that he would give to me. And I thank God that he doesn't because it's for his glory. And whatever is the most glorifying to God, that's what we should desire. And that's what the angels desired. And that's what we should look into. We have received a glorious gospel that even the heavenly host desires to look into to better understand. And and you know what? They can never understand it like we can. The angels, they can never understand it like we can. Because they didn't have it have it we can understand it greater than any angel because it is our personal redemption and and by the way god's personal interest in the gospel that the angels are so interested in it's also a personal interest in his people a personal interest in each individual child he has a personal interest in you through his gospel and that is incredible by itself The fact that the King of Kings, the perfect Holy One, would have a personal interest in me, a sinner, is incredible. And to think about those things, to think about that, doesn't it make it easier to deal with the trials that come our way? Won't that make it easier when when some if somebody if you're in, well, I mean in in lots of countries in our world right now there's been people with a gun put to their head telling them to renounce christ or die you look through history and we're about to celebrate the reformation day and most of those men died most of the men who brought us this died by fire burning at the stake and you hear story after story you read the book of martyrs time after time These saints are being martyred, and what are they doing? They're burning at the stake, and they're singing hymns. They're praising God. They have this unbelievable joy. And I I certainly believe that's supernatural given to them, but it's also because they were prepared, and it's because their eyes were focused on Christ. Their eyes were focused on the eternal reward. And so we, I know there's, there's people dealing with, all kinds of levels of things that I've never dealt with. And I can't, I can't speak personally about some things. I've, I, and obviously I've dealt with trials, tribulations as well. But no matter what it is, I think Peter understood. Holy, the Holy Spirit obviously understands. And, and when depression starts creeping in, and when the, you get in those dark times... And you really feel like you're being suppressed. And a lot of times it's a spiritual suppression. But just look at people who are battling depression. Or when you go through those periods of time. Just look at where your focus is. It's on you. It's on your circumstances. 
It's on what's going on with me, what's going on around me. The people who are the least oppressed in this world are the people who are always helping other people. Their focus is always on service. And we can take it such a step farther than that. If our focus is always on Christ, you cannot be depressed. Because he doesn't change. His glory doesn't change. So if you're struggling with that, or if you're struggling with, I mean, whatever, if you'll move your focus, take it off of yourself, take it off of your circumstances, take it off of, even, and, and there's times when this can come and it can be in the form of wanting somebody to be saved. It can be in the form of wanting to see somebody repent. It's a family member. They just won't turn around. They're just going down the wrong road and, and it starts to bear weight on you. You know what? Take your focus off of that and put your focus on Christ. Put your focus on the gospel, the thing that even the angels desire to understand. And all of that, God is, God is in control. He'll take care of it. So it's ours as a gift, and that's how we deal. That's how we deal with trials, temptations, persecutions. That's what enables us to raise that shield of faith in the midst of a battle when you feel like there's no way you can pick it up again. But it's not your power that's doing it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, uh, once again. Lord, I, I, for your glorious word, for the men who have come before us, the countless number of men and women who have already went through persecutions, and we know by their testimony, we know by, the, by your word that you will not fail us, you will not leave us there. You will not leave us in amongst that trial. You will bring us through it. And that we have a heavenly reward and we have a time. We have a time coming that we can just rest. When the battle's over, when the war is finally won, we'll have that rest then. Until then, God, I pray that you'll equip us, turn our eyes to Christ, give us that spirit of rejoicing amongst whatever trial that we're going through. Lord, allow us to focus on Jesus. Allow us to focus on the gospel. Remind us that the angels are, are constantly looking into. They're, they're constantly trying to understand the gospel better. And, and remind us through that that it's, it's even more glorious than what we can imagine. And Father, I thank you for this group of people here. This, this church you've given. Uh, this, this congregation that comes together to worship you. I pray for those who aren't here. There's many missing. I pray, God, for whatever reason they're not here, that you would grant them comfort. Lord, and as we fellowship afterwards, Lord, let, us, let our minds be on Christ. Let our minds be on the gospel. And let us give you full glory for our salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.